Hey guys, on this episode of EdTech, we're going to be talking about the start of classes, COVID, and how folks are just responding to upcoming layoffs. All this and more on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is EdTech, a return to normalcy, or is it? Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Extron, industry-leading technology backed by world-class support. This is EdTech, the monthly higher ed tech podcast. I'm your host, Bill O'Donnell, and this month I'm joined by the usual crew, and that is Mr. Ernie Bailey. How are you, sir? I'm doing just fine, Bill. Uh, we're also joined by Mr. Scott Tyner. Hey, Bill. Hey, uh, Mr. James King, how are you, sir? I'm good, Bill, and yourself? I'm doing all right. And last but certainly not least, Mr. Rob Raspberry, how are you, sir? Doing great, Bill. Great to be um, here again. There we go. So, uh, in this, the month of August, uh, we are dealing with the fact that a number of schools, and if you're in the higher ed world, we're now swinging back into, you know, classes are going to be starting up in probably about ooh, two weeks, maybe three. And the thing that I'm going to ask everyone here is, uh, with the exception of Ernie, because Ernie's school is a bit specialized in medicine and whatnot, um, how you guys are approaching, you know, the school year? And more specifically, how is your administration, your school, actually looking at everything? Now, granted, a number of us have gotten... Uh, you know, our vaccinations. Um, and at least at my school, we've made it not mandatory, but if you don't, we're going to make it to be such a pain in the butt that it's easier just to go get the shot. Um, so at least here, um, my school is already kind of swinging back into a, well, what we're going to call the new normal. Um, so I'm going to kind of let it go around the room here and everything. But guys, um, is it coming back to normal or is it still everyone's a little wary or, you know, in Ernie's case, are folks wearing full biohazard uh, NBC suits? We are under a, you know, mask mandate across campus, employees, students, visitors, patients, uh, you know, a doctor's not looking in, in a patient's mouth. They've got to be masked. Uh, you know, it's across the board. Uh, we, are not allowed to require vaccines, but they are highly recommended. And uh, the employees, employees, that's faculty, staff, students, or well, not students, but faculty and staff, we're at about, I think we're over 90% now. So it, it's real high, but you're still expected to wear a mask anytime you're on campus. Uh, you cannot go through the screening stations that are required without a mask on. So if you don't have a mask, you're sent home to get one. They they do not provide mask for you. So, yeah, for for us, it's um, the as I say. Well, currently, our staff and faculty are around seventy eight percent vaccinated. The students are around sixty. Um, but for a lot of us, it's it's more of okay. How do we go? You know, how are we going about this? Well, the faculty are going to be given a list of students who are not vaccinated or at least, you know, said that they are not vaccinated and, or, you know, showed no proof. 
And um, those students have a one-strike policy. And that is, you know, if you come in and you're not masked up, the faculty can call you out on it. And if they choose to do so yet again, they actually become unenrolled from the class, which I, I can understand the point behind it. At the same time, certain schools are dealing with enrollment issues to begin with, so I'm kind of looking going, uh, I understand that, but at the same time, I'm looking going, oh, no. <laughs> so, Scott, how, how far, as I say, how is it up in, uh, uh, as I say, up in the uh, great New England, uh, greater New England area? Uh, so it, uh, we are um, requiring vaccinations of all of our students, and we've been collecting that information over the summer. Uh, I believe there are medical exemptions that are allowed. Um, so we're we're fully expecting 98, 99 percent of our students to be vaccinated. Um, they've been told very clearly you you don't you don't have a choice. It, um, there's no petition. It's it's a it's a medical reason only. Uh, our staff and faculty are not required, but we have collected the information and supervisors have been told who is not vaccinated, and the people that are not vaccinated are required to wear masks at all times. Uh, things in the state of Maine, though, I think, in, like in many other states, are starting to get a little nerve-wracking again with the numbers slowly climbing day by day. Um, so there's been no announcement. I, I, I fully expect our college to open up normal in the fall, um, but it wouldn't surprise me if we change something like everybody has to wear masks when inside uh, by the time classes start. Um, but we remember we were in full session last year. Um, we had some space, some social distancing and, and some other things in place, but uh, we are we're pretty well equipped to handle it because we did have full attendance last year. Uh, but mm. it's it's getting a little nerve wracking. That's for sure. With this, I want to actually add into this how we have uh, during the pandemic, there was a huge uh, emphasis on doing things in a high flex or hybrid way. And now that we're going to normalcy, it's one of those things where I'm saying, okay, how much of this stuff is still going to be used? We are setting up our rooms, Bill, to answer your question, where uh, we will probably be hybrid. We, we're we're going to be able to do that in most of our, at least our larger lecture halls and a lot of our classrooms. And we've built out several new rooms during COVID, uh, during the pandemic that we've been going through here when we've been shut down. So we have more rooms that are available for that. So uh, I, I think we'll be seeing more of it, and I would not be surprised if we don't uh, end up going more virtual in the very near future. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, way I look at it is, I, I tip this a couple times, is we're not going back to what we used to do. Um, like the saying goes, a man cannot enter a river twice or the river's different and the man's different. Yeah. So we're not going back to our standard classrooms. All our classrooms are going to be able to support the high flex, the hybrid, the remote learning, in-person, whatever modality you want to call them, we're going to be able to support them. Uh, just like our faculty, they can teach however they feel most comfortable with. We got to provide the gear for them. And I think all our classrooms are just going to be outfitted to support whatever modality that these faculty and students feel the best 
to learn it. Sort of interesting because um, I think that by going, you know, to that high flex mode or the capability of it, you open yourselves up to make it easier for guest speakers and remote speakers and presenters to come in and teach a class and add an, an extra element, you know, to the course. Um, at Drexel, you know, we've required that um, all staff except for medical exemptions be vaccinated by August 1st and the students have to be vaccinated except for medical exemptions by the start of the term. And obviously our focus is face-to-face. -face. I think people in general, they get, they love that face-to-face -face experience. But yeah, you know, like everyone's pretty much agreed, we have to be flexible and be able to support that remote uh, and high flex, um, you know, platform just in case. Um, and again, also, I think it's also great when you do trainings and conferences and stuff to just have your spaces able to handle that kind of thing. Yeah, I think this is this year is the year that's going to really draw that out, right? We all scrambled last year. How much did we learn over the summer? How much did we prep over the summer for the unknown? And the high flex, I think, Rob, is exactly what we're going to deal with over and over again. And actually, it reminds me of last August, our president said, if you want to know why we're choosing to bring our students back this year, this fall, it's because we don't know if this is going to be going on next fall as well, and we need to learn from it. And I, at the time, was like, come on. And now here we are of August of 21, and this is starting to be a question again. Um, so for me, it's, it's how much did your administration commit to these changes? How much did you commit to them? And are you just ready for that flexibility? I mean, we, we agreed to keep our rooms, um, at least have them back to the level, you know, the pre-COVID level. Some of them, you know, as I said earlier, we have upgraded to be more uh, equipped for high flex or for uh, virtual learning if we need to, but uh, we're at least at the level we were. You know, a lot of the rooms were taken down and used for other purposes, so we had to go through over the last six weeks and rebuild those rooms that have been used for storage or for dorm rooms or whatever. Uh, you know, we had some, they created what they basically were hot dorms for uh, some of the medical staff who had to be here 24 seven. So I use my classrooms for those. The next article guys I'm gonna bring up for you is by our own uh, Scott Tyner. And that is how to present a case against layoffs. Now this comes to us uh, via Scott's blog, uh, Scott's uh, blog slash um, page off of um, off of uh, rave pubs, and specifically, uh, you know, if you if you're in higher ed right now, uh, schools are dealing with what we call, you know, there's the great resignation, which I believe is going on now, but at the same time, we're also dealing with a drop in enrollment, um, which is a combo of both. There's been a, as I say, there's going to be an upcoming drop in enrollment just due to the sheer fact that during the, the uh, Great Recession, folks were having less kids. And so now we're coming upon that generation that's going to be going into schools and everything. So in general, there's going to be a drop in enrollment. But that being said, a number of schools, because of the pandemic, uh, dealt with, had to deal with constrained budgets. And in certain cases, they kind of looked at everything and said, all right, we have to downsize or right size or look at things in a different manner. So, Scott, I'm going to let you uh, kind of take the, the reins on this for a second. I mean, I'm sure you will go into it in much greater detail than I ever will. 
Well, I think one of the main thing that I was trying to say in the blog is I think actually sometimes uh, the AV professionals I know can be their own worst enemy in the sense that we make things seem so easy, right? If you talk to an IT networking guy, that guy will rant on for 10 or 15 minutes about stuff that you, they'll use language you don't know. They, they don't try to make what's going on seem easy, and we do. We'll sit there and we'll listen to a faculty member administrator say, I want to do this, 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 and this. And we'll just go, okay, I can make that happen. And so they think, oh, I mean, the guy's going to hook up a TV just like I did at my house. I can let him go and I can, I can do that here on campus. So I think there's this piece that, and it's a tight line that we have to walk, right? But we have to start really explaining to people what we're doing, the complexities of what we're doing the programming, the design, the physics that goes into all of the work that we do. Um, and I, I, I joke about this many times. If you asked my wife today what I do, she'd probably tell you I program VCRs or something like that, right? Just, just, no, just no idea of the complexity of what goes on. And so I think there's a piece of really showing that, really talking to it, bringing that awareness out, um, because I, I just think of, of people in, in our field right now getting laid off. It's like somebody doesn't understand yeah, something. And if they're on doing the that. reverse side of that, um, I've actually seen at least it's funny on the community college side and then even more so on the private side. Um, there are a lot of there are suddenly being a number of uh, job openings that have popped up and everything in which they said, oh, yeah, uh, we need someone to actually handle the programming or handle the standardization, things of that nature, uh, because, you know, it, and once again, this varies from school to school to school. Um, you know, the, the better ones have an actual standard. Like, this is how we want our classrooms to function. This is how we do our, this is how we do our business. And, uh, you know, before the, before the show, um, Ernie and I were kind of chatting about things, and it's gotten down into a, a, a almost a cookie cutter, which is good and bad all at the same time. Now, I will tell you this to you guys. It's good and bad because, yeah, oh, you want this type of uh, configuration or, oh, you need the room to do this? Okay, that's a type A type room. No problem. Here you go. The bad side of that is that the higher-ups tend to look and say, oh, well, this just works for everything. And it's like, no, you wanted this to be able to handle this capabilities and that capabilities, so it does that. And, Scott, you're right. I think it's one of those, when we come up and standardize things or at least try to make it easier for the client, we, we tend to leave out all the stuff on the back end. And it's because, you know, if we got into the dynamics of things of, well, you know, listen, we program the touch panel to do this, or we only have it being a button panel in this room because, you know, the choices are X, Y, and Z, blah, blah, blah. The moment you start getting into user, like, it's funny. You, you mentioned the words user experience, and the folks are going to go, oh, well, that's just how the room works. And I go, well, yeah, but it's also how you get to that point. And that's then it's, you, get, you delve into the realm of user design, and the 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 best way I can describe it is folks who do more mobile apps understand this, and understand this and describe this better than I think at times the AV folks do. But once again, that's maybe. I I will. 
one one thing I will give I, I will add to that because I think it's a great example is our our infrastructure team. We hear all the time people saying, "What, what do you got to put fiber from building to building? Everything's wireless." And it's like, well, yeah, but I mean, there's a wire that connects that wireless piece, right? And and people genuinely don't understand that. Um, and they our, our infrastructure team has finally gotten that across to people. It the the wi the wireless needs to connect to something. Yeah, it's extremely difficult to make people understand the complexity of this when we're very front facing. So naturally, as you know, high, you know, student faculty admin contact, unfortunately, we have to make things as simple as possible and they just don't realize it. So it's sort of a I'm not going to say an oxymoron, but it's sort of in a difficult place. The back end is very complex. You really need to understand that. But we have to be the middleman to sort of say, hey, We'll make it work for you, no problem. It's like a bit of a quandary there. Yeah, we ran into that yesterday. I took two of my technicians to, uh, we're putting in, starting up a new medical college uh, in Fayetteville, which is about a three-hour drive away. And I took two of my technicians. We were working on some classrooms up there. Uh, we already have a pharmacy school, and we have some medicine classes. We're adding a freshman medical class completely up there uh, this fall. But we were working on some of the pharmacy rooms. And I came back, and this morning I was talking to our engineer who was here working with us while we were doing it remotely. And, you know, he said, you know, a look at what we did, and the user's not going to notice very much difference in what we did. Uh, he said, but we made it easier for us. And I said, really, we made it easier for us to make it easier for them to give their lectures. Because where we were, if the class went down, they'd have to find another location to cancel the class. Now we, with what we did now, we can say, give us three minutes, we can have you back up and running. But, you know, they don't, they don't see what it took, you know. It took three people a day and a half, basically, even though it was not spending the night. We, were, we spent, you know, counting our drive time. We were out, uh, I think, between 12 and 13 hours yesterday, uh, just touching up two classrooms, doing some minor changes. Uh, and you know, but we we did that so they can have more yeah, successful classes. But they don't, the you know, like you're saying, do they don't see that. that. They just see that. Hey, this. Um, so one of the things that I've seen, and it's funny. B before I was in higher ed, I would do stuff for uh, as a government contractor. And um, one of the biggest things that always tended to make life a little easier, it was a, it was a pain in the butt, but it, later on when you had to compile everything, and that was a, you know, we would go and end up making like weekly reports. Now, is that a, lot, a bunch of extra paperwork? Well, it depends on how much bullet points, how much you want to put into your bullet points. But on the back end of things, I would say, oh, we put this in here because for future growth, for future expansion, for this, this, and this. And one of the things we ended up uh, that ended up saving our butts was uh, just recently we had we renovated our um, our student union's ballrooms. Now this is a three-way divisible, you know, big honking space and everything else. And there's about seven floor boxes, two two per per section, and then one extra one. And how this all factored together was because. <clears throat> Uh, at one point, the um, one of the DSP units just went kaboom. 
Well, we had actually factored in where we always have a spare. So we were able to get the spare put in. I think our downtime was maybe was maybe about a day, if that. And that's only because you factor in, and much like how Ernie is saying, that we went and we swapped the physical hardware out. Then we loaded up the programming. We then had to go and double-check a few things only because it was a different model. Instead of, uh, I think it was supposed to be, we had a BSS uh, 806, and instead we had to put in a 101. And, you know, there there are some little differences here and there, but it's just, you know, it's, it's some corrective uh, DSP programming. But when you're working on something of that size, you got to go through and check everything through. You can't just be, oh, yeah, here, I loaded up the program and buy. It definitely does not work like that. Um, so it's one of those things of when you're doing all this in-house, and I even told it to my boss, I said, you know, had we had a company come in and do that, I said that would have easily been like a $500 to $1,000 service call only because for them, they'd have to go through and do all the same steps, and they would charge by the hour. And, you know, it, for them, it's then an emergency service call, which is normally hard, like, you know, once you're past the warranty period, oh, they got you. Once again, I'm not – and if anything, I should say this up front. I'm not bashing uh, AV integrators in that regards. In, that, in a lot of their cases, that's how they make money. But for us in higher ed, a lot of us do this stuff in-house, and a lot of us do this stuff because it's a cost-savings measure. So, um, like I said, guys, it's just one of those things where I, uh, for us, I think there has to be, we do make everything easier. I just think to a certain degree, we need to either document stuff better or at least make it to where it's like, hey, if we didn't do this, this would have happened and you would have had to have, you know, X, Y, and Z uh, um, uh, manufacturer take care of these things or X, Y, and Z integrator do these things. You know, it's... It's it's us, you know, that's the biggest thing that I always view it is um, me presenting, like, cost savings. That's always that's always how it's how I, I view it. But, you know, that's that's my that's my soapbox. So my take is, and this has come both from, I think, IT and AV as well, is we're both, both fields uh, are fields where when things are going right, People are, why am I paying you? And when things are going wrong, people are, why am I paying you? We are, <clears throat> as you guys have mentioned, everything we're doing, both in IT and AV, most of it is behind the scenes. And your average users do not understand the jargon. Um, I mean, nothing in Scott and stuff, but like when I talk to network guys and they're using the jargons, I understand it because I did go study for network administration. So it was, I don't find that as difficult as someone else who may not know the jargon as well. Um, and same thing goes with AV. Like I've actually, I, I had to laugh because I heard someone try to explain what the AV department was to somebody else. Now, both of these people were not in AV. And a person trying to explain it said, oh, yeah, AV, you know, all the blinking lights. That's how they explained AV to the person. And I'm like, no, there's 
as we mentioned, a lot more going into it. We're programming, we're networking, we're installing, we're setting up physics with the whole display size. Um, I mean, I, had, I keep talking to the end users now, and they're like, I want the biggest TV we can get. I'm like, bigger is not always the way to go. I'm like, think about when you're sitting in the front of a movie theater. The screen's huge. It doesn't do you any justice. But there's math, there's physics behind setting up the perfect display size. Yeah. And yeah, that stuff is not seen to the end users, but that's where our expertise comes in. And as people have said, you gotta always be selling. You gotta be selling yourself on your skills. Yeah, it's it's yeah, one it's, of those it's one of those things where um and by the way, James is absolutely right. Uh, if you ever look it up, Infocom actually – Infocom slash Avixa actually does have uh, an actual mathematical formula for those kinds of things. Now, especially in academia, um, I do tend to go larger only because uh, – and Ernie and James, you guys can both uh, understand where I'm coming from with this – is that a lot of times our faculty aren't always cognizant of the amount of data that they're putting on the PowerPoint slides. And – you know, it's one of those things where I, you know, where I, I have to justify to um, our, our CIO and some other folks where I go, well, yeah, no, we need to go with a larger screen with this. Yeah, but, but we, only, we only have this size screen in this room. And I said, yes, I know. But at the same time, this is going to be primarily for continuing ed or this is going to be for uh, the pre-med folks and things like that. And the faculty I've seen just – it's it's just a shotgun blast of content up on the screen and everything, and it's not their fault. In their case, a lot of times, it is very much uh, in a realm of, here, this is drinking from a fire hydrant, and I'm going to give this all to you. That's one of the reasons why we have to go bigger on some of the projector screens and everything. But at the other on the other end of that and everything, yeah, uh, James is absolutely right. Uh, you know. Oh, here, I'm in a conference room that's only designed for six, uh, you know, maybe top six people or like a little huddle space. No, you don't need a 90-inch display in that room. Or, oh, I want to get a 65. A 50 or a 55 would do you just fine. No, no, I need it to be big and this and that. Guys, you're less than three feet away from the display. You're, you, you're going to have to, it's like, unless you shrink it down to like 8K, you're you're not going to see, like, you're, you're going to be looking at this going, oh. So, anyways, um, that being said, guys, the, you know, I'm just going to go everyone's, for everyone's final thoughts here. James, um, as far as selling yourself, how do you view, view selling yourself? I'll, I use the term, but I'm horrible at it. I, I'm definitely not good at selling my skills. Uh, so, I'm probably the wrong person to ask for well, that, that's, but that's fine. it's always, yeah, just kind of, you know, showing what you've done and almost not going to the point of bragging, but saying, hey, this is what I can do mm -hmm. and making it beneficial to university and your users. Okay. Ernie? Uh, I think a lot of what James said, just, you know, pointing out what you've done, uh, references, you know, Faculty members you've worked with, both you know at your current university or maybe at other places, uh, I think that's that's a good way to sell yourself and you know just demonstrating your your knowledge without bragging uh, and 
you know, point, point, pointing to things that you've done, uh, how, you, how you've helped, you know, maybe. It's, it's how you, it's how you prove you. It's, it's one of those showing here, this got done. Look at, you know, yeah. professor so-and-so, you know, the room was on fire and we yeah. took care of it. Or, you know, um, my all-time favorite is still, uh, we had a biology professor who managed to shame us into uh, putting wireless uh, connectivity uh, in the classrooms. And by that, I don't mean Wi-Fi. I mean, you know, things like uh, solstice pods and, and air media and things like that. Reason being is that he took his uh, very old iPhone, mirrored his iPad, or yeah, he mirrored his iPad onto his iPhone, and then connected the iPhone uh, to our laptop connection. And I just looked at this and I said, "There are way better ways to do this." <laughs> but it was it was a case study where I, I said, "If we if our faculty are doing that in order to have better student engagement, I said we yeah. can do better." But you know, that, that's the kind of stuff where it's like, you know, and I will admit, and I've said this up front a million and a half times, and I'll keep saying it, our, our job is to make sure that the faculty can get their, get their content across to the students, whether it's, over, whether it's via projector, a display, wireless collaboration, uh, or just, you know, being able to make the videos that can go up on Blackboard or YouTube. But that's, you know, that's our jobs. Um, Rob and Scott, I'm going to let you guys have the last word on this uh, as far as, you know, selling yourself and how, how you present things. Um, so uh, just pretty much the same as Ernie and James, but one of the things like, like in advertising, you're always, I, I'm not going to say exaggerating or bringing the best stuff out, but one of the key points to use is, you know, how much you've impacted things. So say in, in our case, we handled all the Zoom. We took everything from in-person to online. That absolutely was critical to the university and, and you know, saved a lot of money, kept the university going, that kind of thing. Um, point out high uh, profile events, you know, town halls, international stuff is usually a good way, you know, you know, we enabled to uh, use our skills and technology to, you know, uh, allow an international conference or international you know, class or something of those sorts, you know, you, you have your baseline, but you also want to hit them with stuff that, that'll resonate with them. Oh, we did this for the president. We did this for the provost. We did this, you know, with the medical college. We did this with the business college. And they had, you know, uh, we have this assessment conference, which is considered, you know, one of the uh, premier conferences in its in its area and we help facilitate the technology and everything for that so sometimes hitting them with the stuff that's going to open their eyes is a good way to 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 justify things fair enough scott yeah we look at um we look one thing we do for our direct support right when we're going to a classroom to help a faculty member is we track all that and we keep data and statistics on it so we're very clear yes we report to 95 percent of our classroom calls in five minutes and of those 97 percent were fixed and the class continued that's that's huge in my opinion um the other thing we do is we report on how we're proactively looking at that data so if 10 of those calls of the year was that the computer was just off Oh, so here's what we've gone done. We've gone and turned the BIOS on those machines to say, turn that computer on at 6 a.m. every morning, no matter what. Again, that's that's important. The other thing that I do is I, I will sit down with designs with my boss and show my boss designs. Oh, you want to put a, 
immersive uh, device in the classroom. Okay, here's what we have to look at. They all that device and the computer, the projector, the control system need to be on the same VLAN. Here's a process we need to go through to do that. Oh, here's the AV switcher that needs a video input. We don't have a video input. Um, and typically, if you're in IT, people start to get that. And although I wouldn't do that with a client necessarily, at least then my supervisor, when they go to them, my supervisor understands what's going on and gives that value. There we go. Fair enough. Guys, um, that is about all the time we have. Uh, as I say, is anything, I was to say, we're just going to do one last round of the room. Uh, where, James, where can the fine folks find you at? Um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, you can get me at AB underscore James King. And uh, I'm also out there on other things. So definitely uh, Google me and find me out there. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. You can at least put it, you can at least say a couple other things. I'm good with sure, shameless plugs. Sure, I, I write for the Higher Ed Digital Magazine, uh, do the IT and AB column. I also uh, started a podcast with Steve Green, Greenblatt called Ask the Programmer. Which I highly recommend to everyone, um, and it's not just because I know both James and Steve. In fact, I've known Steve for a number of years, but that's besides the point. Ernie, where can the fine folks find you at? You can find me on LinkedIn. Oh, there you go. Rob? LinkedIn. There we are. And Mr. Tyner, where can the fine folks find this this uh, article that we've actually had a pretty in-depth discussion about? Yeah, they'll find that one on Rave Pubs, and you can also find me on Twitter at S. Tyner, uh, and I'm also uh, on LinkedIn. Oh, there you go. Folks, you can find me on Twitter, usually haranguing uh, James or at least a couple other folks. Uh, also, in, including, you can also find me on LinkedIn. Once again, this has been EdTech, part of the AV, fam AV Nation family of podcasts. As always, this is EdTech.